listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. That's what we're dealing with on the broadcast. Um, specifically, why do I say um, why in the, in the title? Why? Because we want to specifically talk to you about you know, I didn't realize this growing up in a, in a faith family, a Pentecostal family. This thought process is extremely uh, rare, apparently. And you catch persecution for uh, believing this way, which is mind-blowing to me. Mike Laval, hope you're there next year. We missed you. Um, when you start to talk like this, I didn't realize how many Pentecostal people are always talking about the struggle and how you got to struggle and how God takes you through the struggle and all these different things. Uh, there are so many, so many Pentecostal people, some faith people that they preach this, teach this, and you know, they believe it. They truly do believe it. Uh, obviously we do not. I'm going to tell you from the Bible today why we do not believe that way, but it blows my mind to this day that there are all these faith-filled Pentecostal people that uh, they believe and teach that the Lord, you know, is taking you through struggles. He's taking you through struggles to, uh, know, for whatever reason, his own, his own purposes or whatever. Um, but I'm going to show you in the word of God today why we don't teach that and we don't believe like that. The Victory Tribe, we have said often, of course, we know it's, it's on the shirt now. If you've got the cactus green shirt that we just dropped, the struggle is over. The struggle is over. And so I know, Caitlin, they, they celebrate the struggle more than victory. Not us. We don't do that. And so if you've not taken a minute to share it, you need to share it today. Um, but if you want to get, by the way, those new shirts, they're available uh, shop.miracleword.com. If you've not gotten yours yet, uh, we've got the, I love them. The awesome red one. It, when I saw them in person, they looked even better than when I saw them on my phone. Uh, the red one that's got the same kind of look as the hoodie with the, uh, VT logo on the front and the lion and the victory tribe on the back. And then we've got the, uh, the cactus green one. It's a totally new shirt. VT on the front struggle is over on the back. Um, I love them and you can grab them right now in the store. Yeah, man, I love that one, Frank. He said the Victory Tribe hoodie is the most comfortable hoodie, by the way. Susan put the sticker from the sticker pack on her phone case and made her own Victory Tribe phone case, Letty. How about that? How about that? Um, So I want to deal with this today because I'm so tired of hearing people bash this message like we're somehow delusional because we believe God can keep us in never-ending victory. I mean, it's my, it's mind blowing to me that we get, uh, negative comments from Christians, Pentecostals, faith people, because we teach like this and we believe like this. It's like, oh, you guys are just, you're teaching, you're going to cause them their hopes to be dashed and blah, blah. that literally it's going to be hurtful to those that hear you teach when they actually encounter something. No, we're not saying there's not a battle. We're not saying that you don't, um, 
have to deal with the attacks of the enemy. Of course, the Bible, if you didn't have to deal with the attacks of the enemy, then there would be no teaching in scripture on how to deal with the attacks of the enemy. But let me ask you just before I even get into any teaching on this, before I get into any teaching on this, let me ask you for a little bit of uh, uh, feedback here. When Paul's teaching to the uh, church in Ephesus on the armor of God, right? Talks about the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the spirit, talks about the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, all the different things. He talks about the shield of faith, right? Everybody should know this. This is not Bible trivia. Uh, he talks about the shield of faith. Quick question for everybody that's watching. How many fiery darts of the devil does the shield of faith quench in that passage? Somebody put it, everybody put it in the comments. How many fiery darts of the devil does the shield of faith quench? I would love to know. Oh, all, all. So did you think that the Holy Spirit made a mistake there? Or do you think that it really means that you can take up the shield of faith and quench every fiery dart, all fiery darts of the wicked one. I mean, did you think that was a typo? I mean, I don't know if these people, I mean, I know not the victory tribe, but these people that, that talk like this and teach like this, did they think that that was a typo, that the Holy Spirit needed some white out to get this in a, actually I meant most, I meant most and I misspoke and Paul wrote it down. No, all I'm turning there. Oh, we're in Ephesians chapter six and the Bible says it very, very clear in all circumstances, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish. I love that. You can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Love that. With which you can extinguish, not most of them or some of them or a few of them, all of them, every fiery dart of the evil one. But you know what I like is when, I, when I'm here looking at this now, and by the way, if you're putting it in the comments, it's Ephesians 6, 16, in all circumstances, so do you catch this now? Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and telling them that this is not just in regards to living free from sin. This is not in just in regards to temptation, right? It's not just that. Even if you're reading in the context of what he's talking about, being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Sin is not the only scheme of the devil. Get that. Sin is not the only scheme of the devil. Sickness is a scheme of the devil. Depression is a scheme of the devil. It was a scheme that almost took Elijah out till God encouraged him. Uh, anxiety attacks are a scheme of the devil. Poverty 
is a scheme of the devil. Sin is not the only scheme of the devil. It's important to get that. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Get this now. And against spiritual forces in the heavenly places, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So um, answer me this, yes or no. Was there ever a time in the Bible that Jesus had to deal with a spirit of infirmity? Yes or no? Were there ever times Jesus had to deal with a spirit of infirmity? Put it in the comments. Yes or no? Wasn't there a woman in the temple in the book of Luke who dealt with a spirit of infirmity? For 13 years, or excuse me, 18 years. Yeah, there was. Jesus had to cast out a spirit of infirmity. So uh, was he dealing with sin in that moment? No, he was dealing with infirmity. But notice it wasn't just somebody that was sick. This woman was battling a spirit that made her sick right? Spiritual wickedness. That's who we're wrestling against, not just flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. So this woman in Luke 13, she's dealing with a spirit of infirmity. Jesus wasn't casting out sin. He was casting out sickness, but it was a spiritual force that he had to deal with. Go to Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine tells us that parents brought their son to Jesus and their son was deaf and mute and often tried to kill himself. Today, they would just call him suicidal. Well, he's just extremely suicidal. He's just extremely depressed. He's just extremely anxious. So here, D- Jesus deals with two things. No, Sandra, it's not. They're they're, they're different spirits. She asked, is the spirit of infirmity the same as a buffeting spirit? No. No, they're not. And here Paul is dealing with, or excuse me, here Jesus had to deal with a spirit that made the boy deaf and mute. So hindered him. But then secondly, often threw him into the fire and into the water, tried to kill him. Today, they would just look at that and say suicidal. So Two different areas that Jesus dealt with, but it was a spirit that caused it to happen. So what did Jesus do? Cast the demon out. And when he cast the demon out, that suicidal attribute left the boy and the deaf and mute condition had to go. And so there are more schemes of the devil than just sin. I hope you know that. And I'm sure you do. Others may not. There are more schemes of the devil than sin. And so when Ephesians is telling us, uh, that for, we are not, excuse me, we don't stand against so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The full armor of God is there to bring you victory. Notice against every scheme 
of the devil. But then you go down further to where I'm talking about the, the, the uh, shield of faith. Notice it says that it, it extinguishes every flaming dart of the evil one. And I love it because it's not, it's not some of the darts. It's every fiery dart. So when we're teaching this subject that the struggle is over and we are teaching that we're not called as believers to struggle. And we, we look through these things. And if you're just logging on, we're talking about the fact that, um, we're not called to struggle as believers. We don't have to struggle through life. Christianity is not a hard thing to live. If you're doing it biblically, Jesus is the one who said, take my yoke upon you. He said this, is there any among you weary? Are there any heavy laden? Come unto me and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm going to break this down because the Bible tells us very, if you just logged on, we're dealing with the fact before I even get into the teaching, does not the Bible say that the shield of faith will extinguish every flaming dart of the evil one? Yes, it does say that Ephesians 6, 16. So which darts are you dealing with that the shield of faith is not extinguishing, causing you to struggle in life. The, the schemes of the devil, we're not ignorant of his schemes and the armor of God is there according to this passage that we would uh, stand against the schemes of the devil. So we're able to stand against all schemes of the devil and extinguish every flaming dart of the evil one. It's the Bible's, Bible's teaching that to us. Again, on the back of the shirt, we put the scripture that Janine just put up in the comments. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 and 57, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we're not going to get the victory. We have the victory already. We're not going to become victorious. We already are victorious. And we'll stay victorious. And if we'll put on the full armor of God and we'll stand, guess what? We'll be able to stand against every scheme of the devil and extinguish every fiery dart of the evil one. And I don't care what the dart entails. Sin, sickness, depression, anxiety, poverty, lack, whatever it might be. Issues, doesn't matter does not matter. Every flaming dart is extinguished by the shield of faith. Now, I do want to make a comment here because people often misappropriate scriptures and they say, well, Jesus said that there'd be, you know, trouble and affliction. Yes, persecution. And this is, I want to just say this so plainly. Persecution is a separate matter than the attacks of the devil. Do you get it now? Let's say the yellow highlighter is persecution. It's a whole different matter than the attacks of the devil against the things in your life that Jesus redeemed you from, right? 
Persecution is not the same as falling into sin. Persecution is not the same as battling sickness. Persecution is not the same as depression and anxiety. Persecution is not the same as poverty and lack. They are different things. Persecution is something that comes from wicked men and women that are pushing back against the kingdom of God on the earth. Now, Jesus experienced persecution. The apostles experienced persecution. The early church experienced persecution. But none of those things are the same as what Jesus dealt with throughout the gospels, what the apostles dealt with throughout the uh, epistles in the early church and church history. Uh, when Jesus prophesied, you'll be hated all over the world for my name's sake. That's persecution. That's persecution. And that is something that will come to pass. We're seeing it right now. We're seeing it right now in America and other nations. We're seeing it right now. That's something Jesus prophesied would come to pass. But Jesus didn't say, you'll be sick for my name's sake. You'll be impoverished for my name's sake. You'll be depressed for my name's sake. You'll be anxious for my name's sake. You'll fall back into sin for my name's sake. Jesus didn't say any of those things. In fact, when he dealt with those things in scripture, as did the apostles, they destroyed them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Whatever the devil does to steal from your life, Christ has made provision for you to walk in victory in that area. And the shield of faith has been given to us to extinguish. I love that, uh, not just to quench, because, uh, you know, I know that that's the, the term that the King James Bible uses, to quench the fiery darts. But I love the ESV here, to extinguish, to completely put out, to completely eliminate every flaming dart, every flaming dart, all the flaming darts of the evil one, not some of them, all of them. So Jesus saying, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's not calling you to a hard life. He's not calling you to a hard life. He's calling you. Now you say, well, it's hard because we get persecuted. True. You get persecuted. Most people that are probably watching have never experienced persecution to the level of people in other nations, but yes, there is persecution but he empowers you even in that. He empowers you even in that to deal with persecution and to know what to say and to know what to do. But I'm talking about the attacks of the devil. And you're empowered to extinguish every flaming dart, not some. We always have the victory, always have the victory. And then you look at some of these and you say, well, how do some of these Old Testament uh, passages jive with what some of these people are preaching? How do they even, how do they even compare? I love when people quote half verses to you, half verses. Well, you know, brother, I can't believe you'd teach that because you know, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, the Bible says that and you're skipping completely over that verse. No, you're reading half of the verse. Yes, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. And what does the Bible say at the end of that verse? But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Not some, not most. Out of them 
all. Very important that you get that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And then you look at some of these things and you're like, how do some of these uh, Psalms and other Old Testament passages, how do they even compare with the way some of these people are preaching? Oh, well, you're interpreting the Psalms. It's a poetic book. You're interpreting it in the wrong way. What do you think? So I had somebody want, tell me one time that you, you know, and I understand hermeneutics. I mean, I do, I study it. And you read the Psalms and, and you, then you have to ask yourself, you know, um, why the Holy Spirit would put these statements in here that are predictive. And they say, well, actually he didn't mean that because it was a poem. <laughs> Not any and all VNA. We know that all sickness and, and disease are evil because they, uh, it didn't even enter into the world until sin entered into the world, yes. But not every sickness and not every disease is, is caused by a demon spirit. Now, when Jesus, my father did a study on this, I went back and did the study myself. If you go through the gospels, uh, one quarter to one third of every person that Jesus dealt with individually, he first had to deal with a spirit before he could get them healed, before he could minister to them. So it's not every single, you know, some, some infirmity, something that people, somebody's dealing with. Somebody may have worked around loud noises in a factory their whole life and they, they're hard of hearing or deaf. Well, that wasn't caused by a demon spirit, it was caused by uh, loud noises. Somebody worked around firearms their whole life, didn't protect their ears, now they're deaf. It wasn't caused by a demon, it was caused by loud noises and abuse of their hearing. So, um, you know, somebody battling severe type two diabetes, you know, and they're really, really struggling. Well, it wasn't a demon, it was Twinkies. You see what I mean? I'm just, I'm just generalizing. But not everything is caused by a demon spirit, although sickness and disease did enter into the world through sin because there was no sickness or disease before Adam and Eve sinned. So, um, but there are some specifically VNA that you have to deal with a spirit for the miracle to take place. And people say, well, you can't read Psalms like that. It's just a poem. They're just poems. They're just songs. Uh, you, you see what I mean? And they're like, well, so what's the point then? Why would the Holy Spirit put these things in if they were, if they weren't predictive? So well, it means generally speaking, generally speaking. Oh, really? Generally speaking. So we read Psalm one. Blessed is the man, the godly person, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Stop right there. All right. Let's look at this psalm. Yes, it's a poetic book. Yes, this is something that is found in these, these books of poetry, but according to some of these people, you say, well, you can't use that as, you can't say that that's for everybody because it's poem, it's poetry, it's a poetic book, and it's just speaking generally. So you're telling me that if there's a person, especially in the new covenant, that refuses to walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but delights himself in the law of the Lord, on that law meditates day and night. You're telling me that these blessings that Old Testament people could receive are not gonna come on 
every New Testament individual that does these things. You're telling me it's just, we need to read it as poetry and it's a general outlook on life. And it's not, it's not specific to individuals. Foolishness. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the, ju- in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. So you're telling me that uh, this is not going to be true for the people that obey? What about Deuteronomy 28? Well, that's only written to Israel. Well, we are part of Israel. According to Paul, it's called the spirit of adoption. Read what the Bible said. We are now Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of what Jesus did is that he made a way to become part of the family of God where there previously was no way. The spirit of adoption. Paul taught that to the Romans. And so you begin to understand Galatians to the Galatians. He taught that if you are, if you belong to Christ, Galatians three 29, then you are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. This is what I don't get about people. So, so you're, you're telling me that people under a worse covenant in the old Testament, uh, if you read Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you'll obey all that I command you to do, that I'll set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And, and you go through the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, one through 14. And you're going to tell me that if they obeyed the law, which they had far less of the word of God than we have now, if they obeyed all of those things, those blessings were so abundant. It's mind blowing to the point where still people still read them today and are blown away, but they could have those things. But if we as new Testament believers obey, we're not going to have Anything close to that? No. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. So don't tell me it was better for the Old Testament people. And don't just say, well, that's because they didn't have Jesus and we have Jesus. Yes, we do have Jesus, which opens the door to far greater blessings and manifestations of his power than they had in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus said that in John 14, 21. He said, those that have my commands and obey them, it is he that loves me. And he that loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest or reveal myself to him. So it's the, it's obedience that opens the door to the blessings of God. You look at these things, people that obey will be like trees planted by streams of water. They'll bear fruit in their season. Their leaves will not wither. They'll prosper in all they do. Struggle's over. When you connect to the family of God, the same power that's destroying the world does not have the authority to destroy you, does not have the the power to destroy you. The struggle's over. His yoke is easy, his burden's light. And then there's people that want to define their theology by someone else's experience, foolishness. Well, what do you say to poor Christians? You know, it's funny. People use that argument because they'll say, because when you talk about financial blessing, they'll be like, well, that's not anything that there are, there are rich sinners. Okay. I get it. But how come when, um, how come when people say, uh, 
you know, uh, if you really believe that the struggle is over, how come there's poor Christians? Well, there's poor sinners. Poverty in and of itself does not mean that God's power is not real. And prosperity in and of itself doesn't mean God's power is real. Those are not the end all be all proofs of God's power, right? There are poor sinners and there's poor Christians. There are rich sinners and there's rich Christians. But that doesn't change the fact that it's God's desire for his children to be blessed. I always am blown away by how people miss the point that these blessings are not automatic. They don't just fall upon you because you became a Christian. These are worked out. Even in the Old Testament, they were worked out. Notice the first two verses before the third verse describing all the blessings in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does what? Takes actions. Who takes actions. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Delights himself in the law of the Lord. Meditates on it day and night. Those are actions. Is this man getting blessed randomly? Or is this man getting blessed for his actions? It's for his actions. God set up the framework. God set up the system. And now he's calling for people to take actions. Take actions. Jesus said, John 14, 21. I just quoted it to you. He said, the one who has my commandments and keeps them or obeys them. That's the one who loves me. And because he loves me, I will love him and he'll be loved by my father and I'll manifest myself. Is that everybody? Or is that those who take actions? It's those who take actions. And so the blessings of God are obtained. I want you to put that in the comments. Every person watching, don't miss this. Every person write it. The blessings of God are obtained. They're obtained. If they weren't, there would be no poor Christians. There would be no sick Christians. There would be no depressed Christians. None of that would happen. So put it in the comments. The blessings of God are obtained. You have to obtain them, acquire them. God's willing to release them to every Christian, every believer, but he doesn't just randomly release. He doesn't just arbitrarily release. They're obtained. Everything's obtained. So you're telling me that is every Christian on the earth manifesting all of the blessings of heaven? No, of course not. Of course not. However, if you're a Christian, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and told them, You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Do you honestly think that the whole population of believers on this earth are exhibiting every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ on the earth? No, they're not. Absolutely they're not. Why? Because just because those things are available to you or in your spiritual account, your heavenly account doesn't mean you've made any withdrawals. It does not mean you've made any withdrawals. doesn't matter if you have $5 million in your bank account. If you have no access to your funds, you can be, you'd live like a poor person. You realize that, don't you? If you had $5 million in the bank, you could be a multimillionaire on paper. But if they shut the bank down and the ATMs down, you've got no way to access your funds, guess what? 
You will live like a pauper, though you have five million in the bank. What if the government was to freeze your account or for some reason through fraud, your account was frozen. You wouldn't have money for ramen noodles and you got five million in the bank. So it's not about what's in your account. It's about what you've withdrawn. It's about making a withdrawal from your heavenly account by faith. That's how it works. The blessings of God are obtained. Exactly. The blessings of God are obtained. So just because Christians are blessed with every spiritual blessing, heavenly places in Christ means nothing. If you don't withdraw those blessings, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things that aren't even seen yet. I can't see any of my blessings in heavenly places. My natural eyes can't see them. So how do I access them through faith? It's the substance of things that are hoped for. It's the evidence of things that aren't even seen. You see, the apostle said, we believe, therefore we speak. We say what we believe, even if we can't see it. I say it, though I can't see it. Can you see your salvation only by the fruit of it? Only by the fruit of righteousness. That's the only way you can see salvation. You'll know them by their fruit. But you can't look at people and say, well, that one's saved, that one's not, that one's saved, that one's not. Only by what? Your actions of faith. Your faith-filled actions. And your righteousness will endure forever. That means your righteous actions. Your righteous actions. So that's the only way we can see, see salvation or see faith. Faith without works is dead being alone by itself. That's what James taught. So notice, I I see so many people, the reason I'm spending time on this is because there are so many people who expect to be in this overflow of blessings and they've not done anything. There's no action attached to their faith. They're not moving for not doing anything. They're just waiting. I know God knows when to bless me. He's going to drop it. God doesn't drop it on you. It's not the lottery. You still have to take actions. Why do we teach that the struggle is over? Because God has placed us in the framework to walk in never-ending increase in blessing. I just read to you Psalm 1. I mean, I've read multiple times Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Oh, he's doing things. He's doing things, is he? He's fearing the Lord. He's greatly delighting in his commandments. What will be his results? Oh, his offspring will be mighty in the land. My kids are mighty already and they're going to get mightier. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness, his righteous actions endure forever. Oh, this is poetry, guys. God didn't really mean this for people to take it seriously. It's just a nice poem. You don't interpret scripture that way. It's not, it's not for us to read and think it's going to happen. Verse 10, the wicked man will see the blessing of the Lord on the person and be angry, gnash his teeth, melt away, and the desire of the wicked will perish. It's not for us, though. It's poetry. It's poetry. Um, The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth. Who's he looking for? People whose hearts are turned toward him. What's he going to do? Show himself strong and mighty on their behalf. That's what he's going to do. So when my heart is turned toward God, when I am a faithful member of the kingdom, when I'm obeying his word, when I'm doing what he says, 
I'm loving him by my obedience. Then guess what? He is going to show himself strong and mighty on my behalf. And that's going to be real. Romans 8, 28, all things don't work together for good for everyone. No, the Bible says all things work together for good to those that love God. How do we define love for God? People who have his commandments and obey them. Actions of faith, actions of faith to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So if you're the called of God, Christian, and you love God, which means actions, then guess what? All things are going to work together for good, not for everybody, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. When you see love God in scripture, you might as well just interchange there, obey God. Because that's what Jesus said. You might as well just interchange every, if it says that so-and-so, if you love the Lord your God with all your, love the Lord your God, you know what that means? Obey the Lord your God. Because that is the only criteria by which God judges your love. I know that's, I know that's rough for people to hear. It's the only criteria by which God judges your love. Do you love him? Do you not love him? It's not about what you say. It's about what you do. It's about what you do. You say, well, he doesn't, doesn't judge my love by my giving. Yeah, but he commanded you to give. So that's just obedience. What about my praise? He doesn't judge my love by my praising him. Yeah, but he commanded you to praise him. So it's just a response of obedience. Same with worship, giving, worship, faithfulness to the house of God, all these other things, all they are is all obedience to his commands. He set the framework. We obey it. He sees our love. He responds. Let me go through that again. He set the framework. He issued the commands. We respond in obedience. He blesses our love. Let me say that again. He set the framework. Then he gave commands. Then he sees our response in obedience. Then he responds to our love. That's how it works. God, okay, so let me break those down. God set the framework. What does that mean? He created his own system, like the system of seed time and harvest, like the system of obedience to command. He created his own system. He set the parameters. But what's number two? He then issued commands via his word. There's always been commands. Did you notice that from the beginning, God couldn't bless his people without commands? So though he created the Garden of Eden, though he set the man and woman there, though he gave them all they needed, he still had to create a system within the garden that contained commands. Otherwise, their obedience couldn't bring them blessing. So he had to create something where he said, don't touch this and do this. He had to have a system of commands. If there was no system of commands, he can't release his blessing. Obedience brings the blessing. So he created a system from the very beginning and said, you have everything at your disposal. Everything is, uh, you have access to, except don't touch this. Don't do this. You have to give them something to obey. You have to give them something to obey. That's his framework. That's his system. And he did it. And then when they failed to obey, instead of the blessing, they received the curse. They received the curse. Wasn't because of God. 
It was because of their own response to his system. He created the framework. He issued the commands. Their response was wrong. Same today. He set the framework. He issues the commands. What is our response? Because if our response is obedience, if our response is yes, Lord, yes, then guess what? He responds to your love, shows himself strong and mighty on your behalf and does things that no human can do. Comes through for you in ways that no government could do, no corporation could do, no culture could create. No, no amount of influential people could come together and do for you what God does for you. So he creates the framework, issued the commands, we walk in obedience, and he blesses us for our love. That's exactly how it works. And so I know that's, you know, you feel like, well, that's overly simplified. No, that's how he did it. He wants it to be simple because he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. All that he requires is obedience. That's it. That's it. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. What does the Bible say in uh, the book of Proverbs? It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he will cause even his enemies to be at peace with him. Hallelujah. When a man's ways please the Lord, he will cause even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so what's the whole key? Your ways pleasing the Lord. Now, you can't blame God for catastrophe when your ways don't please the Lord. You can't blame God when things don't go right and you're like, I don't know. It blows my mind. People get all bent out of shape. There's people that get, get mad at their pastor. Exactly, Yanil, Proverbs 16. There's people that get mad at their pastor. There's people that get mad at their church. People get mad at God. I don't know what uh, God's supposed to bless me. I don't know why God's not blessing me. Okay, they're mad because they're not blessed financially. They're struggling. You go and inspect their life. They're buying cartons of cigarettes, playing the lottery. You know, you, 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 there's money going out the door for so many ridiculous things. They don't tithe. They don't give. And they barely attend church. Well, I'm a part of this. You're not a part of anything. I don't know why I'm not blessed. I go to church. God said I'm supposed to be blessed. No, no. There's no, you're not engaging his framework. You're not engaging his framework. You're not obeying what he said to do. There's a big issue when people don't follow the instructions. You know, I, I put that in one of my books early on, how I thought I was so awesome that when I first had Maddie and she wanted a princess castle, a Barbie princess castle, and I bought it and it had so many pieces, so many pieces to put together on Christmas Eve. And I, I was like, you know, I got this. It's a Barbie castle. I got this. And I threw those instructions over my shoulder and didn't need them. And I started putting it together and I was so mad and so frustrated that it wouldn't go together and I couldn't figure it out. And Carolyn came in, she was like, maybe you'd like to look at the instructions. You know, it's like, yes, I would. Well, there's a, it's a problem because I got, it looks like it's done, but I got like 20 pieces left over. None of the stuff works. The lights won't turn on. The songs don't play. I'm like, what the heck? Well, maybe follow the instructions next time. Yes, I will. 
And so now I pull the instructions out and I use those bad boys. I'm not too good to use the instructions. We just did something the other day, very simple, but I still use the instructions. I don't care. That's screw Z28. Use screw Z28. Doesn't matter how easy it is now. I'm telling you, I go for the instructions. Why? The instructions make it easy. And it blows my mind how many believers there are that they want the blessing of God to fall upon them, but they don't follow instructions. They don't follow instructions. You know what? For every person, you know what I I wish we could do as spiritual leaders? I'm going to tell you what I wish we could do as spiritual leaders. I wish when every person had a grumble, a, a complaint about how their uh, the church and well, I'm not blessed. I don't know. You said this stuff works. That don't work. You know what I wish we could do as spiritual leaders? A spiritual obedience audit. That's what I'd like. I'd like to come into your life and do a spiritual obedience audit. You say, well, this stuff doesn't work and I'm not blessed. And you said I'd be blessed. And you said God was powerful. And you said, let's do a spiritual obedience audit audit. Let me come in and look at the books. Let me come in and look at your church attendance. Let me come in and look at your Bible reading plan. Let me come in and look at your prayer life. Let me come in and look at your praise life. Let me see your tithing records. Let me see your giving records. Let me see your love walk. Let me see, let me, let me take a spiritual obedience audit and let's determine where the discrepancy is because I can tell you where it's not going to be on God's part. God's records are clean. God's record. God doesn't even need an accountant. His records are clean. He does what he says he'll do always. He's not a man that he should lie. So let's do a spiritual obedience audit. Let me see your records. And let's find out where the discrepancy lies because I bet you I can find it and I bet you I'll find it quick. I bet, I bet I'll find you, I'll find that thing within the first 15 minutes. I guarantee it. I can, I can do the checks for you. I had a guy come into my office one time when I was an associate pastor and he was struggling financially. I'm like, this dude works like three jobs. How is this dude struggling financially? I said, well, bring in your, uh, your statements, bring in your budget, everything. I'm going to help you get through this. He was one of my youth leaders. And so he came into the church on my lunch. I sat down, pulled out a legal pad like this one. I said, let's break it down. How much money you make every week from the three jobs you work? Boom, 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 boom. We wrote it all down, got all of his totals. All right. So every month, and I wrote it in, every month you make this much money. Yeah. All right, let's get your expenses now. Give me every expense that you have. Boom. We wrote that bad boy out. Every bill. But then I'm looking, I'm like, dude, you've got like seven cars. And I'm not joking when I said seven cars. Because this dude was buying used cars for who knows what, what reason. Some of them were just sitting on blocks. I'm like, dude, you've got seven vehicles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really think I can sell. All right, you got seven vehicles you're paying on. Yeah, okay. 
But even with the seven vehicles, I wrote that in, expenses, here's your bills, here's your tithe, here's your offering. After I added up all the money, there was like, there were, let me think what it was. There was like $1,700 a month unaccounted for. I was like, well, where's that money? I don't know. You don't know. You don't know? No, $1,700 a month extra that he had. And he's, he's in pro- financial problems. I said, where's this $1,700 going? Everybody? I don't know. You don't know. So you're just blowing through $1,700 extra dollars after your bills are paid, tithes are paid, offerings given. You're just blowing through. And then you're coming, I'm in financial problem. I need help. You, you, you need a brain. You need a brain. And people, because let me just be very clear. There's people who do that stuff. And then they'll say, well, God said I'd be blessed. I don't know why the church, church pastor preaches prosperity and I'm struggling. Sit down with me. Let's do an audit. Because I just found 20,000 plus extra dollars a year that you don't know where it is. $20,400 a year that you don't know where it is. You've got an unaccounted, you know, if you were dealing with an accountant, that'd be a serious problem. You have a, a, a misappropriated, an un, un, uh, you can't locate 20 grand. It's not that God hasn't blessed you. You've got a bag with holes. You've got a bag with holes. And the same thing is true with these people I'm talking about. Many of them. Many of them. And the tithes were right. The offerings were right. It's just that he didn't know where we were. You got a bag with holes in it. You're misappropriating it. You've got stuff that, you know, going out the door, no wisdom. See, no wisdom. And that's the issue. That's the issue. And it's not just, you need, people need to do spiritual audits. And Danielle's right. Self-auditing is essential, but not just for finances. You need to do a spiritual audit of your life. The first thing you need, if you're starting to struggle, the first thing you need to do is a spiritual audit of your own life. I don't need to come into your house and do it. You could do it yourself. Make a checklist. And somebody's right that wrote that in the comments. Maybe I should put together a spiritual checklist and just put it out as a PDF or in the app or something. Because we need to look. Where's your church attendance at? There's folks, you don't see them. You see them once every three weeks, every four weeks. How come you're not going to church? Why aren't you going to the place God commanded you to go? Where you're strengthened, where you're built up, where you receive a word. Why aren't you going? Right? So if you're not there, okay, so where's your Bible reading at? You're reading the Bible every day? How come you're not filling yourself with the fuel that God gave you to live an overwhelming victory? Where's your Bible reading at? Where's your Bible reading at? Let me ask you, where's your prayer life at? You praying every day? You praying an hour a day? You praying a half hour a day? Do you pray in the Holy Ghost? Do you pray? Where's your prayer life at? How come the prayer life's not there? Well, I don't know why God's not blessing me. Do you ever talk to him? I don't know why God hasn't blessed Do you talk to him? Do you read his letters? Do you praise him? You know, a lot of stuff could be solved if people would just praise God. There, was, there would be stuff you don't even have to pray about if you would just praise God. I'm not even joking. There's stuff you wouldn't even have to pray about if you would praise God. Right? So where's my church attendance? Where's my Bible reading? Where's my prayer? Where's my praise? When was the last time you did some fasting and prayer? 
When was the last time you just cut out a few days out of your month to fast and pray? I don't mean to cut out soda. I mean the Bible. And by the way, I don't have one up here, but if you, if you've not gotten my book on fasting, you need to get it. You need to get it because I'm not talking about cutting out soda. That ain't fasting. That's discipline or dieting. It ain't fasting. I'm just not eating pasta for a while. That's not fasting. I'm talking about cutting all food out and praying. When was the last time you weakened your flesh, yielded yourself to the spirit and listened for the instructions of the Holy Ghost? Right? Prayer, fasting, praise, reading of the word, attending church. What's your tithing looking like? Well, I'll do it when I can afford to. You can't afford not to. Where's your giving life? Because let me tell you, if you, if all you're doing is tithing, you're missing it. You're missing it. You need to be giving above and beyond your tithes. I don't know why God's not blessing me. You're out buying cartons of cigarettes and lottery tickets. You got no money for God's offering. I can say these things because I'm not a pastor. <laughs> so it's not, it, for me, you know, you're not, it's, it's not like you're coming to the church and I'm sitting here harping on it because you're not tithing to your church and you're not giving them. I'm not your pastor. So I can teach you these things and your pastor should thank me. And there's too few pastors talking like this, but you need to tithe like consistently. You need to give above and beyond that tithe and you need to make sure, what are we talking about? The kingdom slice, the kingdom slice. We make the biggest slice go to the kingdom. Let me tell you something. If I ever do pastor a church, the people in the church are going to have to work very hard to outgive me because I will be the biggest giver in that church. And you'll have to have miracles happen to outgive me if I'm the pastor. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. Because I don't give little. I give crazy. I give crazy. That people would be like, chill, chill, chill. It's time for an audit. And so that's, that's the key. You start to see it when you look through the spiritual disciplines. Where's it at? Where's it at? Have you fasted recently? Are you getting fresh instructions from the Lord? See, part of the reason that people struggle is because um, either number one, they don't hear instructions from the Lord because they're not yielded. They're not listening to the voice of God. So he's speaking to them, but they don't hear him. They don't hear him. But number two, they hear him and they don't obey him. I'm I'm talking to you today about why people struggle. The struggle is real. I can tell you why your struggle is real. I can show you on paper why your struggle is real. I can show you. And, and here's the deal. The struggle is real, but the, the, the thing we're not taking into account is that the Lord told you to do something three years ago and you've not taken one step to do it. Well, struggle is real, brother Ted. You've not even begun to do what the Lord's told you to do. How do you expect the blessing to come if there's no obedience? One of the things that I say often, can you imagine if I would have just said, forget the word I got from the Lord, I'm going to the Bible school I want to go to, not the one you told me to go to, Lord. The blessing's not on that. Forget your word, Lord. I'm not going to go to Virginia Beach and go on staff with my uncle like you told me to in February of 2003. I'm going to go do my own thing. Blessing ain't on that. 
Well, for, uh, forget that. I'm not going to leave the, the staff of the church and go uh, into a full-time evangelism, Lord. I'm staying right here. I'm comfortable on staff. I'm getting blessed on staff. I'm going to stay right here and do what you, no, there's no blessing on that because the Lord switched it with a word, an instruction. No, I'm not going to move to Florida like you told me to, Lord. I'm going to stay right here in Virginia where my family is. And also I'm going to stay right here. Got a nice house, got a nice, got the family, got the church. No, ain't no blessing on that. Because here's what people fail to realize is that the moment God speaks, you've got to obey. And if you don't, there is no neutral in the kingdom. There is no neutral. You're either moving ahead or you're moving back. You're either increasing or you're diminishing. That's it. That's it. And how do you know whether you're doing one of those two things? Are you obeying the last instruction you got or are you not? Which one's it going to be? Because God doesn't speak for no reason. He doesn't give you instructions for nothing. He wants to see you increase. He said in Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord, your God that teaches you to profit P R O F I T and leads you in the way that you should go. So there's many ways you could go. There's one way you should go. Many ways you could go one way. If you're trying to get to the destination he has for you, there's only one way to go, right? So think about this. Think about this. If I had a destination, a place I want to go, I put it in the GPS. There's tons of highways I can get on. There's tons of interstates I could get on. There's tons of back roads I could get on, but there's only one way I should go. If I want to get there the quickest way possible, right? I got to obey the instructions of the GPS. Same with the Lord. When I said, you really should make a spiritual audit questionnaire available just so people can take their temperatures if they feel they aren't quite where they need to be. If people are in humility, we won't shy away from hearing the truth when we can change. It's true. It's true. Plus you could do it in the, uh, for yourself, you know, and it, it's not an embarrassing thing to just, you know, an, an old preacher told me that one time, very successful preacher. He, I said, speak to me now a little bit. Talk to me. He was in his late seventies, early eighties. I said, talk to me a little bit about what you would tell, go back and tell your, uh, 30-year-old self, 25-year-old self. You know what he told me? He said, um, always be able to take your spiritual temperature. This is what he told me. He said, the pulse of your spirit, man. Know where you're at spiritually, hot, cold. Where are you? That's what he told me. He said, you got to know where you're at. Are you starting to get colder? Are you hot? Are you on fire? Where are you? He said, part of that obviously is prayer and, and, and reading the word. He said, I haven't missed a prayer. He said, I haven't missed a Saturday night prayer meeting at our, because they do them every Saturday night. He said, in like 50 years of pastoring. And here's crazy. He said, I think I've missed two in 50 years because people had an emergency in the hospital and I had to go visit them. But think about pastoring for 50 years and never missing Saturday night prayer meeting. Staying on your discipline so that your spiritual temperature doesn't grow cold, right? And so these things are vital. These things are vital. And people struggle. If, if people are struggling, I'd like to do a spiritual audit because either Jesus is a liar or your life doesn't line up with the word of God. One of the two things is true. And I think we have far less dedication in the kingdom than people think we have. 
You know, people that go, well, there's so many Christians in the world. Are there? I think there's so many by name that they identify as a Christian, but that doesn't mean you are one. Not everybody in 2021 identifying as stuff is that stuff. <laughs> Not everybody that identifies as something is that thing. So, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Oh, do you? But do you actually do any of the things the Lord has commanded his followers to do? This is why we talk about discipleship because discipleship is us conforming to the image of God. That's what disciple, it's not just about praying a prayer. It's not about making a decision. It's not about standing at an altar one time. It's about once we've made that covenant commitment, are we conforming to the image of Christ? Are we conforming to the image of God? If we are, guess what's going to happen? Increase, blessing, overflow. God honors those that honor him. But if we lightly esteem him, if we lightly esteem him, you talk about problems, man. Serious problems. I wanted to find that passage of scripture. Because I wanted to share it with you, but I don't know it off the top of my head, the uh, reference. It's, I, I was in 2 Samuel, it's 1 Samuel. Let me read you this passage, and I'm, I'm sure you've, you've read it before yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm sorry to let you down, those that are watching the broadcast. I don't know the entire Bible by heart. I know that shattered a lot of your opinions of me, but I, I can't pull every single reference at this point. Now, next year is always coming. First Samuel chapter two, and um, let's talk about this. The Lord is, re- I'm gonna give you the context. The Lord is rejecting the prophet Eli, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, because they have taken the things of God so lightly, so lightly. And of course we know they were doing wicked things, but, uh, I want you to see what God responds. Verse 29 of first Samuel two, he says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? By fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people, Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Watch this. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Let me show this to you also in the New Living Translation. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Listen to this.
says here, I will honor those. This, by the way, is 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. Woo! You talk about heavy. That's heavy. I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. So people like Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas that were uh, taking the things of God lightly, taking the things of God lightly, he said, I'm going to despise you. I'm cutting you off. And so when I read that passage to you from 1 Chronicles chapter, um, uh, or excuse me, 2 Chronicles 16, um, when I read you that, notice what it said. Looking for people whose hearts are turned toward him. One translation said, are loyal to him. And on those people's behalf, he'll show show himself strong and mighty. Why? They've honored him, so he's going to honor them. They've honored him, he's going to honor them. But if you don't care, if you lightly esteem the commands of God, he said, you'll be despised. You'll be despised. One of the things that, that strikes me is in the book of Malachi, very interesting passage here. Because the Bible speaks of a book, a book of remembrance. Now we read that phrase and we think, man, that's not a good thing. God's got a book of remembrance and he's like, he's about to fire some people up. No, it's actually a good book of remembrance because he's not writing down your mistakes. He's writing down your faithful actions. You ready for this? I'm going to give this to you, then we're going to pray. Then those who feared the Lord, this is Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I will make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God, hallelujah, and one who does not serve him. My God, a distinction will be made. God's keeping your name in the book of remembrance. People that are faithful. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to see a big difference between the wicked and the righteous. Big difference between the wicked and the righteous. Get ready for wonders. Get ready for divine possession. Get ready for the best you've ever seen. The struggle is over. The struggle is over. Don't say the struggle is real. It's over in Jesus' name. The best days are ahead of us, not behind us. Get ready. The best days are ahead of us, not behind us struggle is over. I want every person in the broadcast to pop it in the comments. The struggle is over. Father, I pray right now for every person that's watching this. We refuse to go from crisis to crisis, issue to issue, problem to problem. We're moving from victory to victory, from grace to grace, favor to favor, miracle to miracle, wonder to wonder in Jesus' wonderful name. We expect the greatest days we've ever seen. We expect divine possession. 
We expect to see your spirit manifest in power. Lord, we thank you that we are moving forward with force and momentum. We will never lack any good thing as we stay faithful to you. We expect the revelations, the manifestations of Christ on our behalf, as your word promises in the book of John chapter 14. As Jesus said, we will experience the manifestations, the revelations of his nature, and we'll only see the goodness of God in our lives. Now, Lord, I take authority over these little attacks of the devil trying to frustrate and to hinder your people. I command every one of them to fall apart at the wheels. I command every one of them to be destroyed. Every one of these little attacks to be obliterated by the mighty voice of God speaking from heaven. And Lord, you declared your word runs swiftly through the earth. And so Lord, in Jesus name, we declare it. Your word is running swiftly through the earth and dismantling every attack of the devil against your precious people. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing today, man, on this. The struggle is over. It is over. This is what I was talking about. Take a spiritual audit of your life. You know, as I'm encouraging you to sow a seed, I'm going to challenge you at the end of this broadcast to sow. But as you're getting ready to sow, look at yourself, do a spiritual audit and say, where's my giving life been this year? Where's my sowing life been this year? I don't know. I don't check on your, I'm not sitting around checking on your giving records. I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the totals of what anybody's given because that's not, I don't do that. But you know, you know where you're at. You know where you stand. Today, as, as you're doing this in faithfulness, do a spiritual check and say to yourself, where am I at? Am I so, am I still like, you know, remember people used to say that like, uh, years ago, people used to say like, you know, that's, that's so 20, you know, that's so 2015 or whatever. I don't know. I don't even know when that was started. People used to, people used to say that all the time. Is that how your giving life is? You're sowing seeds. And you're like, that's, that's, that's 2018. Those are 2018 level seeds. That's 2019 level seeds. Have you leveled up? Have you come into the now, into the now faith place with your sowing? God has increased you. God has moved you higher. Have your seeds followed you? Do a spiritual audit right now and say, Lord, what is the thing that I'm supposed to sow? And I encouraged you yesterday because one of the things we're challenging you to do, I'm doing it, Carolyn's doing it, is to sow a life-changing seed before this year comes to an end. Sow something that is serious to your spirit, something that takes that kind of faith. Sow it before the year comes to an end. Watch what God will do. We've got a large seed ready to go in the ground for our New Year's Eve service. And I want to encourage those of you and, and challenge you. What is something that you could do? You were, we're, it's not just about saying divine possession in 2022. Yeah, we can say it, but what are you doing? That's what today's broadcast has been about. What are you doing? What are you confessing and what are you doing to provoke God's favor for 2022? What are you doing? And you watch and see how God will open up heaven over your house. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've been getting uh, testimonies from people. Somebody sowed a seed uh, when we were at the banquet and uh, said, as soon as I sowed that seed to you and Carolyn, my, my job got a hold of me and said that I had um, was supposed to have, uh, 
money come to me that they forgot to give to me. And it was double what they sowed as a seed. And it was a significant seed. I keep getting these testimonies over and over that people that are sowing, the doors are opening, the heavens are opening for them. It's happening for us. Same is going to happen for you. And so I want to encourage you right now to take that step of faith, go to miracleword.com. Uh, so there's my friend, Ben Fall. Love you. He got a little, it's all right. You can watch it and, uh, and take a step of faith. As you know, November's getting ready to come to an end. I mean, we're only, we're more than halfway through now and we're headed towards Thanksgiving. But in this month of November, I'm so happy to be able to send you my father's new book. The camels are coming on the gifts of the spirit. Uh, if you don't know what the, the reference is, the context of the, of that title, the, the camels are coming. Um, uh, when it was time for Isaac to have a wife, Eliezer came back with nine camels behind him, loaded down with gifts for the bride. Eliezer representing the Holy Spirit coming with nine camels filled with gifts. That's the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Isaac, a representation of Christ, the bride, a representation of the church. Christ gave those gifts through the Holy Spirit to the church, the nine gifts of the Spirit. This book is a study on the gifts of the Spirit. It will help you. It'll build your faith and position you to do what you're called to do. It's not just for preachers. Every believer is called to walk and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, this will open your eyes to things you've never seen before. Even if you've read tons of books on the gifts of the spirit, which there aren't even tons of books on the gifts of the spirit, but if you've read a few, you'll see stuff in here that you've never seen. I guarantee it because I've read all the books you would have read. And this one, it's got stuff you've never seen. It will bless you. Don't forget today, all new kids content. It's on the story of David. It's a character study that you can get at miraclewordkids.com and on the free app. Let the kids binge watch. Uh, all of these episodes from Miracle Word Kids and then download the free study guide. Yesterday, brand new episode for Last Gen Podcast and uh, it's how to uh, gain or build your faith and skip levels. My nephew Alex dropped another episode. If you've not subscribed, you got to subscribe. Today, 2 o'clock p.m., First Lady, Prophetess. <laughs> She's mad as she's watching me. Carolyn Shuttlesworth. It's, <laughs> it's going to be with us. Live, 2 o'clock, and Friday, 2 o'clock. Don't want to miss it. I love you guys so much. I will see you tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Have a wonderful and a powerful day, and I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.